Hello, I'm Danny Unrah. I came and went while you were gone. It's my last Sunday as your pastor in this place, and we haven't even met. I feel like I'm kind of in a Seinfeld episode where Kramer gets fired for a job that he was never hired for, and uh, so there's confusion all around. But uh, I will always live with uh, having had the joy of being part of your staff for more than a year, and with the sadness that I never met most of you and never got to find out what your stories were. I have lived most of my life with the belief that everyone's life is a novel, and I love reading novels, so I'm sorry I missed that, and look forward to the chance of yet meeting some of you in our future. The sermon tonight, or today, uh, I've called We Make the Road by Walking. Spirit of love, loving self. Dr. Frank, a delightful octogenarian and parishioner, joined me in auditing a Eugene Peterson course at Regent College many years ago. As we drove a number of times between Regent and Richmond, in a slight British accent, he had picked up somewhere between Saskatoon and Vancouver in his sojourn, the good doctor chronicled his family and work history. He had first been a teacher, then a dentist, and finally a medical doctor. And that's the career he spent most of his working life in, in Vancouver. When I asked him what motivated a poor Mennonite boy from Saskatchewan in the difficult 1920s and 30s to become a teacher, a dentist, and then a doctor, he said, well, I never got on well with my father. He often told me, with my complete disinterest in farming, that I would never amount to anything. We were both silent in the moments as we drove home, I think letting these words sink in. And then he added, and my father's been dead now for more than 30 years. I guess it could be said that I'm still trying to prove to him that I'm a somebody. Remembering Dr. Frank, I recall a man with a confidence, yet at the same time not sure of his own worthiness, as if he had taken on some of the unloveliness he felt from his father for himself. I borrowed the title for today's sermon from Brian McLaren's book, We Make the Road by Walking, and specifically the chapter entitled Spirit of Love, Loving Self. McLaren, no doubt in this chapter, is springing off the words of Jesus, bidding his followers to love their neighbors as they love themselves, implying that loving oneself should be and is the norm for us humans. He's also setting up, of course, the clear notion as well that love for God, love for others, and love for self are all interconnected, intertwined like a proverbial three-strand braid. Jesus does, as the Apostle Paul after him, calls his followers to be more altruistic than self-interested. So doubling back, the question gets begged, what might self-love look like? What might it behave like? To that, McLaren says it well, and in true Jewish Jesus fashion, answers the question with another question. He writes, if love for God is always linked with love for others, 
And if we are to love others as we love ourselves, what does it mean to love ourselves? Could the Spirit of God teach us a holy and healthy kind of self-love? The answer is, of course, self-evident. The Spirit of God does and could and will and can in all God's myriad of creative ways teach us a holy and healthy kind of self-love. I wondered, getting ready for this, if self-love could be described as a healthy middle place between narcissism and altruism. I wish Hillary McBride was here. She could help me figure that one out. But let's think together the question, what does self-love look like and behave like? Because of what day this is, I'm going to use the sentiment that drives Father's Day. I'm going to use it as a metaphor to help create windows to our own graspings of what a healthy self-love is. Please know I'm not going to devolve into some kind of hallmark moment in this sermon. Also, know that the true stories that I share could just as easily be about a mother's relationship with her children. Please know, too, that the clincher to the whole question is a Jesus story that we'll come back to. To form the answer, I find the best there is to the question of what creates self-love. Beyond the fact that we are made in the image of God, all of us, unwillingly or unwittingly and inherently, I shouldn't say unwillingly, carry sparks of God's love within us, available for expression. Driving in my car some years ago, listening to an interview on CBC Radio, I was struck by the manner of a guest author on a writer's program. His voice and his posture exuded a gentle self-assurance and a kind tolerance, a wellness topped by a deep sense of gratitude toward his father, whom he described as, quote, a great man, a great father, an amazing man, full of fun in life, who, he said, influenced me not by what he did, but by who he was. The interviewee's words were clearly the words of a person at peace with himself, which were centered on the grand testimony of his father. After the fact, it jolted my consciousness and tested my view of the strength of fatherhood to say nothing of catching me in my quick ability to be judgmental and narrow. When at the end of the show, I discovered who the father the guest was describing. He was the uber controversial and much reviled in evangelical circles of his day, Dr. Henry Morgenthaler. Some months later, I met and chatted with Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler at another author's event, and this confident but gentle man credited in his conversation with me, his father more specifically with having imbued in him a kind of healthy self-love that centered his living. Those were his exact words. I have in my random story files a decades-old article written by the American physiotherapy consultant Raymond Levitt. It's a piece about a former Catholic priest who goes to visit his dying father in the hope of some healing in their uncomfortable relationship. After an awkward hug and hello in the hospital room and some small talk, the son is finally able to say to his dad how much lifelong he has wondered about himself. How much, he says, I wanted you to love me, to tell me I'm okay. 
As they talked, and there seemed to be an opening, the son courageously told his dad he would like to walk through an old Catholic ritual with him, that he wanted to anoint his father's senses, not as a priest, but as a son. The tearful father agreed. Signing the cross over his father's thick eyebrows, the son said, I accept the good and bad you have given me through your sense of sight. Remembering those times when father came to his games and the times he wasn't there to watch when the son so much wanted him to be. He touched his father's hands then and said, I accept the good and the bad you have given me through the sense of touch. And the son recalled when he wanted his dad to touch him, to hug him, to put his arms around him, pat his rear as he ran by, touch his face, kiss him. I accept all the good things you have given and failed to give me through your lips, he continued, remembering the yelling, the put-downs, the silence when so much needed to be said. Then the son signed his father's ears. I appreciate the time you listened to me, and I forgive you the times you ignored me. Like so many dads, he was a great listener to others, but seemed so seldom to listen to his son, who was wanting so much to be heard by him, just him. Next, he signed his father's nostrils. I appreciate and take with me all the wonder-making smells you have given me. And he thought of those wonderful smells of his dad. Macintosh apples, dark soil, tomato plants, rhubarb, his sweat, his hair, his shaving mug, white owl cigars, and valentine ale. The piece ends with the author saying, Two love-starved boys grown to manhood. We gorged ourselves now in the love we had always felt but never expressed. I put my head on his breast and I cried. And when he hesitatingly put his hand on my back, my sobs shook us both. The black hole of wondering dissolved. I slowly whispered a word to myself repeatedly, Daddy, Daddy, its soothing power at 42 is beyond telling. It was a 15-minute moment that changed my life. Clearly, this father-son ceremony of naming and touching and forgiving and affirming, speaking love, that moment ignited or reignited the Creator intended all senses blazing self-love in a son, and I would confidently dare say, in the Father too. So back to our question. What might self-love look like? What would it be like in Jesus' terms? In the third way of Jesus being the center of our existence and understanding, could it be that Jesus centered self-love in a nutshell, kind of naturally, through all of our senses, is a living out the small flames of the Galatian fruits of the Spirit? Brian McLaren again moves us to our Son, Father, and Spirit connection to understand how to live in two kingdoms, in the two kingdoms we are called to live in, a meaningful foot in each, and he writes, The Spirit teaches us a profoundly different way of loving ourselves, a way of maturity that involves self-examination, self-counsel, self-development, and self-giving. These practices of mature self-care enable us to love God and others more fully and joyfully. But what specifically in the life of Jesus can inform us here? That always has to be a question in our Jesus-connected living. 
What about Jesus in the relationship to whatever it is we're anticipating and experiencing, talking about, or doing? The account of Jesus' baptism is recorded and remembered in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus goes down to the river to seek John's baptism. The two have a little argument about Jesus' need for the ritual. John submits to Jesus and conducts the act of pouring or dunking, whichever way you want to think it happened. There's a story there that I don't have time to tell. But let's hear the biblical account from Matthew 3, 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. and Do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Son of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my child, whom I love. With him, with her, they, I am well pleased. How many children, young and old, do you know who could use such a statement from their parent? It would be world-changing if it were a common experience for more of us. Let me say that Jesus, our Savior, and Superman, fully human, fully divine, was equipped at his baptism for his earthly ministry by nothing as much as he was by the voice from heaven saying directly to him and for the world to hear that he was loved and valued. And that's how the Spirit teaches us self-love. But the irony of that profound statement of the Father was that Jesus being beloved was one thing, but in terms of being affirmed, he really hadn't even done anything yet. And still he was affirmed. There's a window there. It's about who we are. It's about who God is. The point I believe to make is that even Jesus needed to be affirmed by his Father to rise to his mission, to achieve his destiny. We could conclude that humans, by nature, significantly need to hear their parents, or at least some surrogate parent figures, those of great value to them at some point, say that freely made declaration of love and affirming word to become or to come to their intended selves. It seems sacramental to me. How much all of us need that rich dab of God's image born and carried to by our real and metaphorical fathers and mothers smeared upon us and then in human form reinforced. And then with relationship hurts analyzed and healed and forgiveness and touch through McLaren's self-examination, self-counsel, self-development and self-giving, we can move toward living gently and confidently loving God as we love our neighbors and ourselves in a circle of acceptance and love. Our metaphorical storm sees calm by Jesus in the middle of all of it. McLaren had spun, had spun off these four selves of examination, counsel, development, and giving from Proverbs 4 and Romans 12 and James 1 and 3, braiding together the notions of fatherly words, Feminine wisdom, altruism, and the kicker that love is active. 
So what might we do if we never had that parent speaking love and affirmation to us? How do we resist the huge default to behave the way we were behaved upon? We seek, we invite, we look for, we pray for the Spirit's strength to grasp, grasp those words, this is my child, my mentee, my parent whom I love and with whom I am well pleased in our living opportunities. Because such active love touches and renews both the sender and the receiver. What does self-love look like for the Jesus follower? It looks like Jesus. What does self-love do in the hands and the being of the Jesus follower? It does like Jesus. Self-love manifests itself in being able to love others and affirm others and create heaven on earth in both directions. It beautifully doubles back on the sayer of the words and all in the circle of reciprocal loving and affirming signal that such is normative and wonderful in the kingdom that is here, that it has already come. Hallelujah. Grasp it and bask in it. Amen. Amen.